to eat and something to read. Our very first episode for 2022 and episode number eight. Jermaine, we are here together in the same room against all the odds. How are you? And um, welcome back. <laughs> yes, Happy New Year. I know it's great to be face to face given my summers included COVID isolation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that hopefully is over fast now. And, um, and yeah, it's just wonderful to start off the year face to face rather than over the internet like usual. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And um, so today we're talking about um, a beautiful memoir called Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zauner. But before before we get into that, I wanted to ask you, I know you've had a lot of time <laughs> in isolation. Have you read some good books? I have um, had a lot of time to read. And the first book I went to was um, uh, The Paper Palace yes. after you mentioned it in the last podcast and it had been on my list for ages. And um, I just loved it and could not put it down I think I raced through it in a couple of days and then when I got to the ending I thought it ended a certain way and um I then happened to listen as did I yeah. <laughs> that's right as I messaged you afterwards like how did you think this book ended and then I listened to an interview with the author who talked about how people had read the ending differently um and that she had she herself hates ambiguous endings yet after it was published she realized that people were falling into two camps for how it ended and she was really shocked about that and um I thought well yeah obviously I read it the same way she wrote it and then she mentioned her ending which wasn't my ending which really shocked me um which is when I then messaged you and saw how interesting we both thought it ended the same way and then what she said which I thought was so powerful and so true about bibliotherapy was at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how she intended the ending to be. What matters is the fantasies we as readers bring to the ending because mm. that will tell us more about the book and that story and what it's speaking to at the moment than not. And I thought, yeah, that's exactly the point of bibliotherapy mm. is it's it's not about getting the book. It's about what you get from the book. And after that, I messaged about five or six girlfriends and said, please, you have to read this book and tell me (laughs) how you saw it ended. And again, it fell into two distinct camps. There were half who were like us and half who were, there was no ambiguity at all. This is how it ended. And, um, and it made me really then reflect a lot on my own time (laughs) in in, uh, isolation about why did I need, why did I miss those things or why did I need that book to end this way? Um, and I've got ideas about that now, but which we can't really talk about because lots of people plus want it. That's yeah. right, exactly. Um, I think it says a lot about where you're at in your life and what you're needing from and how you yeah. feel about the character because one friend who didn't like the character got a different ending and I thought, well, if I felt that way, I might have thought that too, but I really liked Elle, the main character. I really yeah. resonated with her and her, and so, Yeah. It's fascinating. And well, it comes back to something, it's such a recurring theme in every episode is the shape a book leaves on Mm. you. And it's always different because of where you are in your head or your life at that time. And I guess that's the joy of reading and not just novels, but cookbooks as well. They they Mm. do allow you so much interpretation, like a movie sets it all out in front of you. You know, there's no room for the imagination. Whereas a book whatever book, allows you to put your own stamp on it, which I think that's what I love so much about it. And that's actually what's so interesting about the book we're about to talk about Mm. because um, the author, Michelle Zauner, Zauner? I think I thought it was Zauner. Zauner, sorry. I could be wrong. Um, Is also a musician with her band Japanese Breakfast and I think we'll get into a bit later, but she talks a lot about the difference between music writing and book writing and her point was with music, it's impressionistic mm. um, and you leave so much ambiguity and so much for the the listener to um, make their own story. And with a book, there's so much more context and you're really guiding the reader. Mm. Um, but let's get into that later because yeah. it goes into art and all those things as well, which this whole idea about what gap is there for mm. the person who is the viewer or the reader or the listener to fill. Mm. Um it's interesting my we're sitting right now actually in my mum's studio in Sydney and um it makes me think I'm looking at paintings and and mum's a big one for putting a chair in a painting of an interior because she always feels there should be space for the 
viewer to enter the work and, and yeah. a space at the table. And I, yeah, I think that's, oh, that's really nice. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. We'll talk about that um, in more detail then. Yeah. Because, well, yeah. I, um, yes, I can't wait to talk about the book. My summer reading was, I was on the beach. I dodged COVID. Well, so far, so far, <laughs> touch wood, touch wood. Um, but I read Jonathan Franzen's Crossroads, which ah. I'm very proud to have finished because it was it's quite a, big a tome, mm. um, which, goodness, he can write, like, amazing. Um, but I felt a bit disquieted by my um, ambivalence towards a lot of the characters. Uh-huh. <laughs> But, and I also read um, Annabelle Abbs' The Language of Food, which we are going to discuss mm. in a future episode. And if anyone listening likes reading along with us, please, um, if the book comes out in March, so we won't cover it until April, mm-hmm. um, but it is an absolute delight and such a comfort read after Crossroads, which I found fabulous, but but not comforting. Right. Um, this one definitely is. So if you're looking for a beautiful kind of cosy read coming into the Call of Months book, um, Okay, on to crying mm. in H Mart. Yep. So I'll give you a little synopsis for those of you who have not read it. And and please, as always, if you haven't read the book that we're chatting about, it really doesn't matter because we're just more picking out, I guess, themes and mm. thoughts and shapes and um, ideas that will resonate, I hope, yeah. regardless of whether you've read it. But please do read it because it's very special. Um, so it's a memoir written by um, Korean-American musician Michelle Zauner, um, who performs under the name Japanese Breakfast. It's a beautifully lyrically written memoir, mostly about her often fraught relationship with her mum and her mother's illness and ultimately her early death from cancer in 2014. And it's very much about the role that food plays in figuring out your identity in the world, how we care f- through food, how we seek mm. comfort through food, um, and I guess the kind of taste of, of grief. Um, oh, can you pass mm. me the book? I just wanted yeah, to read. The... So thank you. Um, so she explains, because for us Australians, if you're listening in Australia, you wouldn't, I was not familiar with what H Mart was, but um, H Mart is a grocery store, and I'll explain. This is page one of the book. She says, uh, ever since my mum died, I cry in H Mart. H Mart is a supermarket chain that specialises in Asian food. The H stands for Han Ah Room. Please forgive my <laughs> pronunciation. A Korean phrase that roughly translates to one armful of groceries. H Mart is where parachute kids flock to find the brand of instant noodles that reminds them of home. It's where Korean families buy rice cakes to make, I can't pronounce this again, Takguk, the beef, I'm sorry, the beef and rice cake soup that brings in the new year. It's the only place where you will find a giant vat of peeled garlic because it's the only place that truly understands how much garlic you'll need for the kind of food your people eat. Um, and she goes on, obviously. So uh, it's a really beautiful book. It opened my eyes to a whole world of Korean food that mm. I'm very much looking forward to discovering and trying to cook myself. Um, what did you think of the book, Jermaine? Yeah, it opened my eyes to that whole um, culture around Korean food. Uh, kimchi is what I know most because <laughs> my husband Stuart loves it and it made me laugh at one point her mother says to her, don't um, fall in love with anyone who doesn't like kimchi because yes. it, it comes pour, pours out of every pore it you actually are what you does. And it does. <laughs> it does. And I, may, I can tell as soon as he walks in, like, oh, my God, you've had kimchi. <laughs> <laughs> I went through a phase of making it a lot in lockdown um and I ultimately my whole family politely said mum could you please make the next batch outside because it really yeah. like leaves the making of it leaves such an odor but we all I've made one that wasn't too spicy so we all ate it a lot and I think and then you don't in lockdown it. together <laughs> just anyway but um yeah so if my that I actually found it quite painful to read at times because mm. my father died from cancer 16 years ago now, but I was really amazed at how some of her observations about watching a parent fade away um, and the indignities that come with that death and the feelings about losing a parent, how strongly they returned after so long. Um, and I actually found that not comforting. I, it, it, I was, I really appreciated the fact that there was this whole other cultural difference around their relationship and the whole food thing but um some of those parts of her caring for him Mm. or having to say goodbye or the reality of oh and I think also my I was 30 and pregnant when my father died but my sister was about Michelle's age 
And there's something about that um, coming into adulthood time and getting your life together. As she says, like I finally had this new relationship with my mother after very fraught teenage years and it was going to be taken away. And, I mean, there's obviously never a good age to lose a parent, but there's something very poignant about that time when you're you're finally understanding your parent as a human mm. and an adult and then they disappear mm. in that way. So I my sister read along read it too and um we had, it was good though because then we had a conversation about some of those memories and mm. these really difficult times but um it's very true and raw and I listened to a podcast actually where Minnie Driver um interviewed her and Minnie Driver's mother died a month before the interview and she talked about how much comfort she found and I thought yeah she's right in that stage of reliving all those moments yeah. and it was interesting with the big gap to think oh, I don't want to go back to that hospital room or that hospice yeah. or um so yeah again the shape it leaves at different times for many drivers she said that this just spoke to her someone understood how she was feeling and um and and I, that can be so beneficial and it was really it, it she's so wise Michelle I mean she's well she's 32 now but that even the thoughts and the understanding she has about her family and her mother and her relationship, I just thought was so well beyond her years. Mm. Mm. Amazing. And I think her writing is quite, Mm. um, it's like poetry in some Mm. places. And especially this was her first book. So she wrote um, an essay, I can't remember the name, it was for a glamour magazine, Kimchi in Love or, um, and then, and then sort of started writing a few more articles and then, an article for the New Yorker, which is mm. called "Crying in H Mart," then became the book. Um, but yeah, what a talent! I think. Yeah, I think it's extraordinary, actually. Um, yes, and-, and her music. I mean, I think that it's really interesting, isn't it? That she has said in interviews that writing music kind of prepared her for writing a book, in a way. And I hadn't really thought about writing music in that way before. But I hadn't heard of Japanese Breakfast either. But I then listened to it as well during my isolation while I was following the washing and stuff and I really liked it and I then I had I don't really listen to I think it's called experimental indie pop and um I thought what do I really like about it and then I read that she was inspired by Kate Bush and Bjork which is our vintage I can see that (laughs) I hear that yeah Yeah. Uh, no we'll we'll put a link into her um I guess her Spotify page I've been listening to a lot of it as well Mm. actually and I've been driving a lot of kids around in the last couple of weeks around the countryside and they're really enjoying it as well so mm. um and that first album psycho pomp was mm. um written about all about her that was her coming to terms with her grief yeah. and the confrontation of her mother's death I think she said so you, you can see how um this book has its seeds in in a album which is really interesting. definitely I never yeah and and it's becoming a film as well mm. or a television yeah series. a film apparently that and she's going to do the soundtrack wow so i wonder if she'll act in it as well <laughs> it's like a complete expression of creativity isn't it amazing amazing um yeah so what we thought we might do now as we always do is just sort of i guess go through some of the themes and the ideas that came out to us mm. from the book and the main one for me um which is a, a really common one and i think possibly why this book struck a chord with so many people when it came out during mm. lockdown is caring through food yeah. and that yes. idea and not just for other people but for yourself like nurturing like she really healed herself yeah well didn't heal but she she helped you know moved well, through she that moved time through grief through cooking didn't she? through cooking yeah. and you know I loved you know she and her mum did have like all teenagers and um, mothers and early 20s, you know, they had their mm. fraught times um, and how even when they had their really big blowout, they had a really big argument mm. um, and she, and Michelle went back to college quite a long way away, her mum would send her monthly packets of her favourite, you know, noodles and her yeah. favourite brand of seaweed and, um, and she just couldn't stop doing that. And she writes, food was how my mother ex- expressed her love, no matter how critical or cruel she could seem, constantly pushing me to get her intractable expectations, I could always feel her affection radiating from the lunches she packed and the meals she prepared for me just the way I liked them. Um, mm. And I think it's true, isn't it? It's what, what we do for the people we love, yeah. no matter how frustrating they might be at that time. Well, it can be, it's another language, isn't it? Like I think um, I love the way that's how they still communicated or kept that bond when um, 
like the words were too hard and then mm. she the quote I loved was um the 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 food becoming the connection to that heritage and culture and belonging um she wrote I'm searching for memories I'm collecting the evidence that the Korean half of my identity didn't die when they did H Mart is the bridge that guides me away from the memories that haunt me mm. um and and that was really lovely the memories haunting her being of her mother just being this sick person and mm. I actually thought, oh, how lucky she was to have HMART to remind yeah. her because that I struggled with that for a couple of years. I mm. couldn't get back to the father I had before illness, but I thought it was so lovely that HMART was able to, yes, to remind her of her real mother or oh, real mother, you know, well mother. Mm. Um, well, and I also have so enjoyed going on a deep dive into, and I'll probably mispronounce her name, the Korean YouTube oh, yes. Man- Manchi. Yeah. Manchi. Um, who uh, later in the book, um, guys, Michelle wants to teach herself some of the dishes that her mother used to make and she finds this YouTuber who is an absolute delight. Mm. Have you watched her videos? I have actually watched her videos. Oh, she's gorgeous. She's probably around the age Michelle's mum would have been. And they had this whole kind of Julia Julia thing going on where um, they've now met, they've done a heap of Uh. YouTube um, series together and even um, I think she went to her house with her husband Peter and, Manji right. cooked her a 30th birthday dinner. And oh. so anyway, I'll put some links into some of those because there are some dishes, any of the dishes in the book that I have wanted to mm. go off and try, invariably she'll have a YouTube um, right. recipe and tutorial for that. So, uh-huh. uh, yeah, it's opened this whole new world. Yeah. I can't wait to um, to try some well, of them. Well, because my deep dive involved going to the YouTube HMART channel oh. <laughs> <laughs> where she actually, Michelle does cook one of those oh, dishes, right. those jelly salad things. Um, which is, yeah, she's really good in front of the camera being a cooking she's, host. She's well. so good. And that I, I listened to the book and I've actually read the hard copy as well and listening to it was so um, such a treat because, you know, obviously my pronunciation of some of the, the more unfamiliar Korean terms, I mean, they're all, I don't speak Korean, so, mm. um, but she she just, yeah, opened it up to me in a whole new way yeah. and the way she describes um some of those meals and I love how you know even though she and her mum especially even those really fraught teenage years when she was mm. getting tattoos and becoming a musician and her mum wanted to go down a different path they could still come together over food yeah. and appreciate a spicy meal or a spice yeah. that beautiful cold um the seafood noodle um dish that that the mother really loved they could still have that together yeah no matter what else was kind Going of happening um, and and also that korean um tradition of on your birthday that is the broth or a soup that's cooked that's meant to be nourishing for oh, women who've just given birth because part yes. of your birthday is thanking the oh, mother yes, who birthed I loved you that. yeah oh. and it's, it's a very nutritious soup for building your strength up after that you have on your birthday yeah I thought it was really oh it's um yeah we all that this is another thing that I love about these sort of food memoirs is Mm. that it it does allow you to glimpse into a culture that that you're not familiar with I've I've not you know we're not traveling at the moment I've not been to Korea Mm. I really really want to go to South Korea Mm. especially now after this um but yeah in the meantime, mm. we can we can Read learn a little bit. <laughs> and thank goodness for YouTube. <laughs> yeah, I know. You must watch um, Manji's yes. videos. She's just, I guess, that, that idea of this beautiful, nurturing, warm mm. Korean mother. Um, anyway, so, yeah, that was another theme. I think we probably covered that, that mm. idea of mothers and daughters and, and how they can actually drift apart in their teenage years and ultimately oh, come yes. back together. And, yeah, and that dynamic that she was so gracious in exploring you know, what's and all, because often mm. I think that can be glossed over the, you know, the hard teenage years or the, but the, um, the fact that there was so much hurt and anger and pain in that teenage relationship. And then when her mother finally, and they start getting on, I love that line where the mother says to her, I've just never met someone like you. <laughs> um, and that kind of built that bridge because it's like, and it reminded me then of, um, you know, the writer Andrew Solomon who wrote this great book, Far From the Tree, all about parenting children who are so, so different from parents for a variety of different reasons, whether they be medical or psychological or um, physical. And uh, he he uh, said, 
and it's so true, even though many of us take pride in how different we are from our parents, we're endlessly sad at how different our children are from us. <laughs> and I thought that just put in a nutshell exactly what uh, Michelle's mum was saying when she finally realised, actually, I've just never met anyone like you because you're not me. Although then the aunt says towards the end, yeah. you're so like your mother, I'm surprised. But, yeah. And that meant so much to her. Um, yeah. And that idea of um, the role reversal, I guess, you know, because, you know, you, obviously you care for your children. Yeah. Um, up until a certain point and then they become independent adults mm. or whatever. And then and that, that Michelle's frustration with not being able to cook her mum the foods that she yeah. needed or wanted during her illness um, and that reversal of roles, I thought that was yeah. so beautifully that, explored. Yes. That's right. She had that other um, wonderful quote then of how um, and, and she, she had that fear that if her mother died, the cooking, all those, she mm. would lose all that food as well mm. to her cook it. And um, cooking my mother's food had come to represent an absolute role reversal, a role I was meant to fill. That food was an unspoken language between us, but it had come to symbolise our return to each other, our bonding, our common ground. I felt in that there was a lot of fear if she couldn't cook for her mother, mm. um, whether because she didn't know how to or because her mother was too ill to want to eat. It was like how how will we communicate with each other? Yeah, yeah. Mm. And they, I mean, they did ultimately, I guess. Um, but that whole part of the book, I, I've not touched wood. I have not been through that um, experience of, of cancer with a parent, but. Um, I just thought she was, it was so raw, wasn't mm. it? And she didn't hide from mm. um, the discomfort and, mm. uh, yeah, and I think, yeah, that was so very brave. And a little moment of hope in that time was when the friend Kai comes to stay mm. who ends up becoming a bit problematic. But um, <laughs> she, I loved how she bought seeds with mm. her. So she came with, you know, face masks and pet manicure and pedicure stuff, but she bought um, vegetable seeds and they, when she arrived, they went out and they planted them and she said, every day we're going to walk around the garden with the mother, you know, yeah. and, and watch them grow. And I love that idea of seeds are such a hopeful thing, yeah. aren't they? That yeah. planting something and, you know, knowing that we're going to watch this thing yeah. grow. And you're nurturing it. Nurturing yeah. it. And that idea of, you know, walking um, – I can't actually – I don't know the mother's name. I don't, do we ever learn no. it? Because she's always just called – Uma, oh, or yeah. as my mother, but I, I was thinking that before too. I don't. Yeah, maybe it's hidden in there that I I missed. But um, it made me think of an article mm. I literally just read a couple of days ago about um the resurgence of printed seed catalogs and oh. how they're running out and and seed companies are having to reprint and do so many more because during the locked the pandemic this idea of flicking oh. through a catalog of seeds and looking at things you can plant and grow and watch come to fruition right. is so incredibly comforting. Right. You have control over yeah. that little patch of earth, you know, and I, I've not the world's best gardener at all. In fact, I'm really not good at all. But I can, I do love putting a seed <laughs> in and seeing something come up. It really is hugely satisfying to yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it? As you said, that thing about being able to control a patch of ground, particularly mm. the last few years where everything feels so out of mm. control and particularly during it, um, illness like that too. Yeah, yeah. and it's like we're not giving up. We're, we're planting yeah. things. We're still, mm. we're growing. We're Putting roots looking in the forward. Yeah, mm. I really, I really, really like that. Um, yeah, so I guess the next thing I want to talk about was this idea of comfort food mm. and why some foods comfort and is it the actual food that's comforting mm. or the act of making it or the memories that are attached to it or maybe all of it what do you think it's so interesting isn't it because I um because the comfort foods didn't comfort her mum when she was really ill did they no. but the making of them and the memories and the smells were, were that comfort weren't they um and I love the way after her mother's died and she her father um, so it falls apart and she there's a line about she doesn't have to look after anyone else but she turns to making all this food the food that the kind you would order on death row which I, I loved that such line. a great description of you know <laughs> chicken it made me think of you with the when she talked about the chicken pie and making the buttery pastry yeah the, um uh, the meat with the buttery tomato uh, potatoes and um yeah that and how interesting it was that all that very stodgy English or Western food suddenly became a real comfort for her to cook because mm. she was, again, she'd lost a father or she wasn't sure how mm. they were going to connect without the mother being the, their bridge. 
Um, and there was no Korean food in in that comfort food. No, because the was father it? was American. But he loved Korean food. He, he did loved eating. Yeah, food, didn't he? But I I find it really interesting how she just instinctively went to those sorts of comforting food, like comfort mm-hmm. foods. That she after that death row quote, she continues and she talks about. Um, uh, she began to cook her way through grief, mostly the kind of kind of food you could crawl into and that required ah, sleeping yeah. off. Um, <laughs> Maybe and that's the comfort. Yeah, and it's, you know, potato and butter and cream and milk and it's all in its incarnations. But ultimately um, what, what finally she writes a couple of pages later that the thing that finally made her feel full and comforted was that um, – that pine nut porridge mm. that she learned to make via YouTube that yes. Kai wouldn't teach her to make. Yeah. And after all of these sort of kind of more Western-style kind of comfort foods, I guess, you know, the yeah. white sauces and the lasagnas and things which she worked her way through, yeah. it was that really simple porridge with that water kimchi on the top yeah. that, that finally makes her mm. feel full. And I thought it's a good reminder, I think, to all of us that um, we need to find our own our own comfort foods and they're mm. not necessarily a big vat of um you know chicken pie or lasagna yeah. they are for some and then but there might be something really so simple yeah. and different could be a toasty could yeah. be anything yes yeah um, but it I reminds me of Joan Didion's um year of magical thinking where she talked about um congee congee being mm. the only thing she could stomach when you're grieving yeah um, I can imagine that yeah. well it's probably a little bit like that it's yeah. that really soaked soft rice just mm. with pureed pine nuts through it actually sounds delicious I'm gonna Give that one a go. Mm. Um, and then the idea of discomfort food or food that when, when food is not always a positive yeah. um, part of the story. Yes. I Yeah, I thought that was really interesting, that idea of discomfort food and, as you say, what grief tastes like. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I think um, whether I was thinking then of um, – tasting grief rather than talking it through. And I think another really good reminder for everyone is that um, grieving uh, therapy doesn't have to – talk therapy mm. isn't the answer for everything all the time. And, mm. and it wasn't for she, her, it wasn't for her. At that time. And she tried it, I think, too, and walked away from it very quickly. But, um, you know, that's – yeah, well, that's when um, YouTube and Mangchi <laughs> and HMART recipes um, – and, and she even wrote that kimchi became a therapy with making all the different types. And I think – the point is it's something to yeah grief is being worked through and it could be through talking but it could be through cooking but it could be through um it's some as long as it's some uh being able to sit with and Mm. accept those emotions and I thought this book did a fantastic job of showing how there are so many different ways to grieve yeah Yeah. and and to move through it because she does say at a certain point She'd prefer to spend that $100 a week or whatever it was she was mm. doing therapy on on two good meals. Yes, yeah. Um, and that helped her at yeah. that time. Um, and I'm, I'm glad she came through that time of um, that really difficult time when, when it's about counting calories and finding food that yes. the mum could, you know, actually stomach and um, and and the friend Kai was being really withholding about mm. those recipes. So that was a, a sad time in the book, obviously, but um, and she comes through it thanks to YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> and and finds the joy as well um and also that her way of anchoring herself as a korean american woman without her mum yeah to help yeah so the other thing i found as someone who writes about food or mm. tries to for a living i found the way she expressed meals and flavors and textures mm. like so incredibly um beautiful and i like she wrote Oh, she did an interview with someone about how that part of the writing was almost the easiest for her because she could cook that meal and recreate the flavours and the smells yeah. and the textures um, in her kitchen in real time. Um, and you can see that with some of those descriptions, whereas recreating some of those really challenging, like the, the big argument she had with her mum and dad, you know, she writes it like she literally mm. wrote a journal that night. Yes. I mean, I'm so fascinated there. how much of that, was her memory I mean obviously it was all her memory but yeah um uh, yeah I'm not an author like that so I don't know how that works but I thought I thought it was so interesting Mm. Mm. so vivid um yeah well I wonder if that is because grief does sharpen all our senses and memories like things Mm. become so so crystal clear and I think um yeah like I wonder for Michelle that cooking 
had the same effect for her as looking at a photo album or reading letters might for someone else when mm. they're grieving and that um and she even wrote each dish I cooked exhumed a memory um and the thing I wanted to ask you about actually was it struck me talking about writing about the senses and your eating um at one point she describes her husband how he closes his eyes when he tastes something good as if cutting off one of his senses amplified the other and I never thought about it before, but then I thought how instinctive it is that when something tastes really good, mm. you, well, I do close my eyes. But Anna, what did you think about that, that idea of? I love that. <clears throat> and I, I do that too. And I think that comes down to that idea. And we've talked about this, that whole idea of repetitive cooking tasks and priming the well and, and that idea of um, being really in the moment, mm. you know, and getting the most out of that experience. Um and I do, and I, you know, if you go to a beautiful restaurant, not that I've done that for a long time, but, and you take that first mouthful of a really beautifully crafted meal, you do instinctively, I close my eyes and just, mm. you know, um, hold your breath and, uh, and and you can look around and other people will be doing that too. Yeah. And I think it's because we just want to absorb as much from that moment and that taste or that experience as so possible. So savouring, maybe it does amplify the senses by shutting one off. <laughs> it, it it'd have to yeah. whatever it. Um, I don't know. I mean, and sometimes when I'm cooking, I like to do it in quiet. Like mm. I don't want a podcast going. I don't mm. want. I don't want um, distractions. I want to like smell the orange zest as I'm grating it into the batter. I want right. to, you know, hear the sizzle. I want to. Um, yeah, I think that there's something yeah. to be said for that. To be really in that moment. Yeah. Um, and this month, I've I've had. Um, a chance to really to do some quiet cooking, and mm-hmm. I've funnily enough, I've not wanted to listen to podcasts much mm. this month. Normally, I'm a voracious consumer of everything, but I've just wanted quiet in my kitchen. So I think that's interesting. Yeah, mm. Maybe that is part of the reset. Then yeah, I think you- I think so. Mm. I think so. Um, I wanted to read a couple of examples from mm. her food writing, and I won't do them justice. But I do. I'll say it again. I really recommend listening to her read this book. Yeah, it's so beautiful. But um just this one sentence she says the old man so this part is when her mum and I her her and her mother are fighting about uni and college and music and even in the middle of all that they can have this meal together (laughs) the old man wheeled our dishes over on a cart and placed our orders and banchan on the table the rice at the bottom of my dolt crackled and my mother's seafood noodle soup bellowed a steam bath from its bright red surface wow yeah clever and evocative and another one she said she writes once when I was a kid I had impressed my mother intuitively dipping a whole raw pepper into samjang paste at a barbecue restaurant in Seoul the bitterness and spice of the vegetable perfectly married with the savory salty taste of the salt itself made from fermented peppers and soybeans it was a poetic combination to reunite something in its raw form with its twice dead cousin this is a very old taste my mother Mm. said it's the, her mother has such beautiful turns of phrases too, doesn't she? Like, this is a very old taste. So how good yeah, is that? I and, know. I mean, there was a lot of poet in her too, wasn't there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it, going back to this idea about grief and creativity—that's probably what struck the biggest chord with me throughout this book, I suppose. And listening to her interviewed, she talked about how writing the memoir, I love this, um, allowed her mother to become more than the sickness that consumed her and it was mm. therapy in itself because it created this much bigger story where she got to look at each family member's background and context and could get a fuller perspective of that whole experience. And she said, I think, um, in the first draft it was very angry and then by editing it and having to look at it from different people's perspectives, it allowed her to forgive mm. others and herself which I thought was also in another way kind of what talk therapy does too where you get to get this sort of bird's eye view of that situation and really explore it from many different perspectives and 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 then you've got this much wider context and that um but she was able to do that through her own uh writing which Mm. um yeah she did do beautifully I mean it really wasn't an angry book no it wasn't but that interests me. So in your work as a therapist, do you often encourage people to write things down as well as read things? Well, again, I think it's a person, isn't mm. it? So if I had someone who loves cooking, actually, which and often that does come up with people from different cultures where food is such a, I'm thinking of particularly the Lebanese culture, I've had numerous 
women who have um, cooked their way through grief mm. and, and cooking is, became a language for therapy with um, feeling very um, distrustful about the process or talking to someone who didn't know anything about their culture um, and, and actually uh, talking about different ingredients and herbs and spices and, and recipes. Suddenly we would have these sessions where I'd sort of feel like, oh, I'm getting some really good recipes. Is this doing anything? But actually. <laughs> Do you mind if I write this down? Yeah, <laughs> I am listening. <laughs> Tell me, how do you grow those <laughs> yeah. mixed herbs? And oh, um, what's the quantity of yeah. again? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But actually, that is what then made the therapy because wow. then it became a way, it was a, a key that unlocked an internal world and mm. internal and understanding. Um, so, so yeah, but in terms, but if people want to write, um, then yeah, definitely, mm. and not writing to try and write a memoir to get published, but just writing does give that other perspective and that something about getting your thoughts on paper gets them out of you, yeah. I think, as well, and and, and untangles them somehow. Yeah, mm. yeah, there's more clarity, and mm. I guess that's exactly what hopefully we can do in therapy too is mm. gain the clarity and yeah. untangle the thoughts, kind mm. of like you write it together or you're on the journey yeah. together. Yeah. yeah, but I think art and all those forms um, does it, which is like what we started off talking about, this gap between that the artist and what they're working through when they produce their work, but then for the person receiving it, as you just said so beautifully, your mum wants everyone to have a seat at the table, mm. what do they then get from it? Um, and it reminded me of... Um, and as I said before, like she, music for her is impressionistic. So you're left as the listener with this whole world to explore or this whole, it, it's a key that unlocks that internal mm. world. And, um, and, and then I was listening to, you know, the author Deborah Levy. Mm -hmm. um, I loved her living autobiographies. So I don't know if you've read I'm any not, of them. I've not, but I just but... listened to her Death is Valid this Oh, well. that's exactly yeah. like where she talks about that musician, um, Philip Glass. And how the formal structure and repetition, the way his music rises and falls, allows thoughts of our own to come in, to rise and fall. And I thought, well, it's just such a beautiful way of showing again how an art form unlocks something mm. in us or gives us space to to think. And um, and so, yeah, like I'd be fascinated. What did you, to know more? You know, she said your mum's an artist, and mm. and what what she's hoping to communicate through her artwork, whether it really is she communicates something to herself and then it's up to the viewers to completely fill that gap for them. Yeah, well, I, I guess it depends on, on the artist and mm. their their sort of um, approach to it. I, I think that's definitely mum and, and certainly we run little workshops together sometimes, mum and I have photography as well, and she's always inviting the photography students to pull back from a scene, mm. not to get in too close to the mm. subject, to, to pull back and allow space for the for the person looking at it to see themselves in that scene. Um, right. And it's so interesting because actually yesterday I went to the Matisse exhibition oh, at the Art that. Gallery of New mm. South Wales. I was so nervous about it. I had like, you know, sanitizer in both hands and I was standing away, <laughs> but I really wanted to see it because I would say he's probably my favourite artist, one of them, mm. um, and I, I took so much joy from that outing yesterday and one of the didactic panels he writes about um how he started creating and being an artist um to find peace um and calm mm. because he's not a peaceful or calm person in himself yeah but creating and enjoying art um brings him that and he wants others to feel that and my favorite part of the exhibition and if you've been or if you've been to the town of Vance in um, southern France is the chapel that he helped do after the second world war and he did murals and stained glass windows and he even designed some of the vestments and um and the idea of um whether or not you're a religious person I want this space to bring you joy and I want you to feel elated nice. and calm and all these things in it and it really um spoke to me so yeah I guess that idea of whatever art you put out into the world mm. and I'm also reading um, Charlotte Wood's book The Luminous Oh Legend. yes I read that's another book I read this summer yeah oh, and I love how she defines um, a work of art as just something creating something that wasn't there before mm. so it could be a cake it could be a book mm. it could be a piece of song it could be a chapel it could be whatever um, but I've been thinking a lot about that and, and that Matisse exhibition and and how he his art is he says this I've been reading the, the catalogue this morning um it is. It's to put more joy in the world, and he mm. says it's simple. Like I don't, I don't 
what you see is what you get. It's yeah. colour and it's joy and it's uh, that, you know, there's balance and there's craft obviously in there, but it, it's he wants people to feel better from interacting with his art. Yeah, there's and there's something it's just about the anchoring mm. that gives, like it gives him calm and is that, yeah. Yeah. Um, reminds me then of you know Matt Haig, the author Matt Haig. He one of his novels, The Humans. I've always loved this quote: um, "Humans are lost, and that is why they invented art, books, music, films, plays, painting, sculpture. They invented them as bridges back to themselves, back to who they are." And again, yeah, it's that mm. idea, isn't it, that whatever key you need, you just need to find the key that unlocks it. For you. I love how you talk about doorways. Like when mm. we talk about Jeanette Winterson's doorways into Christmas, yeah. it's the tr- It's the same with this, isn't it? Your doorway might be having a half a day to make um, a dish that takes you somewhere home, yes. or it could be painting. Or and even yesterday in the exhibition, they had a, a film on the wall of him um, in his later years. He did a little collage, and just watching him cut these amazing um, underwater, you know, creatures for a piece. He looked so happy in that moment. Yeah. I could just see he just was so calm just doing his big and it made me think that whatever you do that's creative, um, it's so it's such a time well spent, isn't it? Yeah, mm. definitely. Anyway, okay, mm. so, wow, we've really covered a lot of ground but um, I, I think this book, especially now, um, I think a lot of people, I think all of you, We'll enjoy it. So I really <laughs> recommend it. I just loved Barack it. Barack Obama enjoyed it. So he put oh, did it, he? it was on his um, oh. list of best books for last year. So Oh, wow. There you go. I'm just waiting for her to do a cookbook now with all yes. those recipes <laughs> so we can all try them ourselves. So we're up to our letter now. But before, actually, before we do that, we're going to hear from our wonderful producer, Christy Reading. Um, she's going to share a comfort read as well. So thank you so much, Christy. And we'll be back uh, to read our letter. Okay, so a comfort read, something that many need right now. And my mind went straight to The Happiest Man on Earth by Eddie Jaku. In some ways, it actually brought back similar feelings to one of my other recommendations that I made on this podcast last year, A Fortunate Life by A.B. Facey. Eddie Jaku always considered himself a German first and a Jew second. He loved where he was from and where he lived, but all of that changed in November of 1938 when he was beaten, arrested and taken to a concentration camp. Over the next seven years, Eddie faced unimaginable horrors every day. First, in two concentration camps and then on a Nazi death march. He lost family and friends during that time. But bear with me here, Eddie survived. And because of that, Eddie made the vow to smile every single day. In The Happiest Man on Earth, Eddie tells it like it is. He pays tribute to those who were lost and what was lost, but it is jam-packed with wisdom. I actually had the privilege of meeting Eddie, who emigrated to Australia at the Sydney Holocaust Museum. I was there for a school excursion when I was in Year 12. It was a visit and an encounter that has never left me, and I can't imagine this book will either. Eddie really believed that he was the happiest man on earth. He made it his mission to be. And you know what? I reckon despite all that he went through, he was right. Comfort, reassurance, whatever you want to call it, I think you'll find it in the happiest man on earth and you'll take on a lot from it. The book was published when Eddie was 100. He died last year in 2021 at the age of 101. I feel like we owe him plenty. Okay, thank you so much, Christy. Uh, Now we have a, a really special letter from a woman who I believe is bit of a walking saint. Um, She writes, 
I would love a recommendation for some bibliotherapy. I am a nurse working in a medical practice for asylum seekers and refugees. We have been very busy this year, as you can imagine, with COVID-related anxieties, vaccine clinics, and far too many swabs up people's noses. My main role, though, is seeing new arrivals, and with the Taliban invasion of Kabul, I have seen a large number of distressed, displaced Afghani people over the last few months. It has been inspiring in many ways, but also difficult and exhausting. Some days it's hard to see the positives in the world and hard to know what words can possibly console. There really aren't any. Most of my consults are also done using a telephone interpreter with a mask and a face shield on, which is very disconnecting. I do understand you receive many emails, but I thought I would ask if you had a suggestion that maybe something that would change my frame of mind at the end of a challenging year. Um, I just wanted to say this letter did come to us in November, mm. but we haven't had a chance to read it out and we didn't want to miss it because um, we so appreciate you writing to us and all the incredible work mm. you do. And it is the start of a new year, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. So it's a reset time. Yes, yes. So I'd love to hear from you, um, Jermaine. What what would you recommend to our readers mm. something to read? Yes, I really enjoyed thinking about this letter because I think um, I, the phrase that really struck me was when she talked about her frame the frame of mind and, and that understanding that um that we do live in this world of uh it's not that she's trying to escape from a reality and just wanting a book or a recipe that's going to make her think that all's lovely and Pollyanna-ish at all it's just I need a bit of a reset to remind myself that there are positives in the world as well as negatives and those polarities of um inspiration heartbreak in her work and um how do they coexist in a world of um you know that that awareness has to coexist in this exhausted world and it reminded and I always find at these times it's helpful to go back in time and Mm. know that it's it's been forever thus or whatever that famous line is and William Blake has um these lines from one of William Blake's poems um I just always find inspiring man was made for joy and woe and when this we rightly know through the world we safely go mm-hmm. um and so how to find solace at this in reading i've decided to go um to take our letter reader into the hands of a, a 90 year old woman <laughs> who's seen it all before and is very very wise um so i'm prescribing hilma wallets's collection of short stories called Today a Woman Went Mad in the Supermarket, <laughs> which is just the best title of any book I've ever and seen. And it's anyway. such a great cover as well. <laughs> it is a bright yellow cover with a yellow lemon on it. And Hilma Wallets is actually the mother of Meg Wallitzer, who I recommended a few episodes ago with a 10-year nap. And Meg has been a very um, critically acclaimed author over the last couple of decades, and she wrote The Wife that got turned to a movie. Um, but Hilma's been writing actually started being published in her 40s um, and she would write these short stories for magazines. And so this collection's made up of stories that she's written in, from the 60s onwards and um, it ends with a story she wrote at the end of 2020. She and her husband lived in New York and they both got COVID in that first wave and her husband died. And that last story is sort of her reflections on, <clears throat> on that and living through the pandemic at, after being married for, I think they're married for 68 years or something. Wow. Yeah. But um, what I really, um, Elizabeth Strout actually writes the forward to this and she she explains, um, well, she, she's much more articulate than I am, so I'm going to quote her. Um, but what I made me think about this letter writer and, and maybe this helping her frame of mind is that, her, all her characters live with the daily existence. Live their daily existence with all the turbulence of the unexpected. And Wallets herself has said, "There's no such thing as an ordinary life. I think all life is extraordinary." This book is just such a reminder that life is inspiring, exhausting, wonderful, sad, devastating, hilarious, and everything in between. And Elizabeth Strout wrote, "There's a wisdom as." Well, in the story Mother, a woman thinks the very worst thing, she was certain, was not human misery but its nakedness and the naked witness of others. Mm. Well, it allows us to be that witness but with an empathy that rises up quietly from the pages. It does not frighten us. It envelops us. It will make you understand that you're not alone in the world. This is what literature does for us. It breaks down these barriers for a moment within which we all live. Mm. Um, 
and yeah, so I, I just, that's everything, isn't mm. it? About mm. why we want to read and 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 to feel comfort in a world that is both joy and woe. Mm. Um, but just yeah, to finish off, um, I also read an article that an interview where Hilma. Um, talked about going to a lot of dinner parties in the 1970s with crowned uh, that these dinner parties were crowned by elaborate jello molds and jello appears in several of my stories ah. um after a while i realized it made a better metaphor colorful translucent layered and trembling than a dessert so um i thought that was a really nice note to end on that i hope this letter writer um has a colorful translucent layered and trembling year ahead <laughs> Oh, I love that. And actually, jelly, I guess, which is the jello, is the American mm. is, is one of my all time favorite foods. Oh, I, a comfort food? It is, it is, because <laughs> yeah. it's light and it's fresh and it's just childish. And I was <laughs> going to recommend a jelly. Um, but then I thought I wanted to recommend something um, that the making of it is as much a solace as the, mm. the eating. But before I move on, I did want to, I really want to appreciate the book that you've recommend them. Um, sounds amazing i've actually just gone and ordered a copy and thank you it's a, such a good recommendation um yeah, so i think no, we'll all enjoy that hilarious as well as yeah and i think that um short stories for february march mm. is such a good thing because you know we're we're thrown back we've had that quiet january time and it's school's back and work's yeah. back and um and maybe the bandwidth back, is yeah. probably better suited for for short stories and there's another book of short stories i've just um saved to read in the future called Milk, Blood and Heat by oh. Dantiel Monitz, which um, another podcast I love called Highly Enthused in their newsletter right. they recommended five short story oh, okay. collections and one of them was Today When oh. We Went Down and, yeah. and this was the, one of the other ones and so I'm I'm angling for my book club to do one of the two um, because I think oh, we yeah. all probably could do with some short well, stories. It just There's a story in here titled The Sex Maniac and I just have to read you the first oh. line. <laughs> Everybody said that there was a sex maniac loose in the complex and I thought it's about time. It had been a long asexual winter. <laughs> she's so, yeah, so she's funny. great. Yeah. Okay, I can't wait to read this. Okay, so on to food. We're not doing jello, although um, jelly, although I, I can't recommend enough making jelly with fresh orange juice. It's my favourite thing. I am suggesting a cobbler, but with that American style biscuit on top. Oh, I made yeah. I've made this a couple of times in January. I made it um we had friends over for New Year's Day and I did it with apricots um, and everyone was like, oh, my God, this is just so yummy. And it really seems that kind of dessert, we've talked about desserts yep. before being just such a delight. Like yeah. they're not necessary. I've made this for you not because, you know, it's it's not a fuel. It's a, mm. it's a pleasure and it's comfort. So um, and my kids have asked for it ever since. I can make that cobbler again and um, I had it for breakfast one one early January morning on my oh, own. Nice. I was left over and it was so such a treat. So the other thing about cobbler is it's such a lovely thing to make. So I would say to our letter writer, if you can afford a bit of time, maybe an hour, it's not much. I like, as I said before, I'm mm. cooking in silence at the moment because I just mm. feel like I need that quiet. Um, you know, you, you pile all the dry ingredients on the work service. You know, you've got your flour. I used a beautiful wholemeal flour. I put some cinnamon in, baking powder, a bit of salt, a bit of sugar, so you work the butter into the dry ingredients yeah. and then um, you add cold cream a little bit at a time and you just ah. make it into a dough basically. And then you want to sort of laminate that dough. So you sort of cut it into four quarters and stack it and roll it out so right. you get that beautiful rise. Yes, in the, yep. um, and just doing that I find, you know, that very act of turning butter and flour yeah. into this cohesive dough that mm. is so delicious. Um, and so you can sort of cut them into your um, scones slash biscuits and freeze them. So they're done. They're in the oh, freezer, and yeah. you can you can just actually cook them from frozen as a scone. But I like to then get um, a whole lot of plums or apricots or yeah. any seasonal fruit. But stone fruit seems to be particularly good. Macerate that. So toss that with some sugar, some vanilla, and even just splitting the vanilla pod and scraping the seeds yeah. in squeezing the lemon juice and tossing it with your fingers and the smell of that lemon mm. vanilla and stone fruit is so beautiful and then you just pile the, the biscuits on top and brush them with an egg wash yep. and sp sprinkle them with sugar and into the oven and it's um you could have it for brunch you could have it for dessert you could just breakfast. have it for dinner <laughs> breakfast as I said it's just one of those really delightful things to make and cook so we'll share the recipe in the show notes but I feel like um this is an example of when food can be mm. both 
fuel and solace and yeah definitely the former in this case yeah mm. it's really lovely um thinking about michelle and crying the h mart which is all about the act of making mm. being the reframe and yes. um and i think it's really nice for this yeah. letter writer that there's yeah as you're using all the senses as you just said the smell of the vanilla and the, mm. the feel of it in your hands and i hope that acts as a creative yeah. therapeutic intervention yeah <laughs> I, I hope well. so yeah. and the other thing you could do if you wanted to take into some of your colleagues if you're back in at work um a writer you know they if you take them from, from the freezer if there's an oven at work you could cook them yeah. and there's nothing more delightful than like fresh scone mm. slash biscuits straight out of the oven um I think people feel it's disproportionate the amount of effort you put into doing something like that to the amount of joy it brings yeah. to people yeah so I would recommend trying that as well perfect yeah mm. okay um so we have come to the end of uh, quite a long episode um i hope so you guys are still with us <laughs> yeah. and and excited about all the reading and cooking and listening um we have to do um and definitely have a listen to japanese breakfast music because mm. it's so beautiful thank you so much to our producer christy reading uh as mm. always for um going through our podcast and editing out all the glitches and the bumps and the interruptions from children um we so appreciate you yes thank you yeah and gosh what have we got next we've got oh that's right we've got <laughs> i'm miming got, drinking a right, bottle of wine, wine so. a glass of wine a glass of wine <laughs> not by the bottle Sophie, no. not yet. <laughs> so yes that reminder that uh we're very lucky to be sponsored by single vineyard sellers for um not only our letter writers who receive a case of Highgate wine of their choice, but also for all our subscribers and listeners that they can order wine off the Single Vineyards website and get a 20% discount um, with the S-T-E-S-T-R. That's yeah. our acronym, isn't it? Um, 20, Sounds like some kind of bad yeah. variant of something, doesn't yeah, it? It's does. not great. Um, anyway, that's obviously again in the newsletter. Yes, we'll um, put that link in as well. Yeah. Please write to us. We love, we really love receiving your letters. And if you do, if you do enjoy our podcast um we'd be really grateful if you mm. would share with a friend um and subscribe and rate review all yeah. those things on the podcast app that would be great um or just make sure you subscribe to our newsletter because that's yes. where we send yeah. you recipes and links all, that and ex- all the links to youtube for this episode yeah, <laughs> yeah. i know god we're, we're sending you all down a rabbit hole i apologize in advance for the hours oh. of your life but i think they'll be well spent that's right and mm. i think um what if we've got leaves the world behind next sent me the rim and Alan oh yeah book. which my goodness that that's another one i finished over summer um i loved it yeah but there was a great sense of disquiet there. oh yes it, it is <laughs> we might need more cobbler after yeah. that yeah <laughs> they might need some comfort food oh, yeah. that's true but amazingly well written yeah it? incredible incredible all right all yeah right. so that's the next book um leave the world behind Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Jermaine, yeah. for coming and over and Sophie sitting with me today. Coming to Sydney. I know. To this very frightening COVID world yeah, that I, we have in Sydney at the moment. I, I'm, mm. I'm hoping to live without that spicy cough that's going around. <laughs> thanks for listening and thanks again, Christy and, oh, Smith & Jones, of course, for our beautiful mm. music. We, we're so grateful to you and we'll share their links as well. Bye. Bye. Sometimes I get to thinking I ought to take up drinking Just to drown out all these memories Maybe I could down a whiskey bottle And head out on that highway Just to see if it'll bring some peace But I ain't a drinking girl I'm just a small town woman trying to find my way in a lonesome world and i ain't a whiskey girl i'm just a small town woman trying to walk a straight line in a crooked world Follow where that boo
a southbound girl I'm just a small town lady Trying to walk a straight line in a crooked world Okay. 